0: Hey everyone, today's guest is JB Brewbaker, lead guitarist for the Lancaster, Pennsylvania metal band, August Burns Red. Together we break down the writing, recording, and inspiration behind the fan favorite hit, Whitewashed, taken from their 2009 album, Constellations. JB and the rest of the guys are insanely proficient musicians. This is technical metal at its finest, but not without an underlying song and structure to back it up. JB explained the lyrical inspiration came from a disgruntled promoter who decided to chastise the band for having alcoholic beverages as part of their backstage requirements. So the band turned around and put it to song. No one likes to be unfairly judged, and you can certainly hear the anger and emotion behind this lyric. Producer and mixer Jason Sukoff nailed this one. It sounds massive and not at all dated, considering the song is almost 14 years old. Amazingly, JB shared that Whitewashed was initially just another song in the bunch, and it wasn't until the band played it live for the first time that they realized what a monster of a song it is. So for all this and a whole lot more, stay tuned.
1: JB, how's it going? Good, man. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Hey,
0: thanks so much. You know, <laughs> for the listeners, uh, JB commented on the Chris Rowe episode the other day. And I was like, wait a second. I think, because you had commented before. And I'm like, I think that's the guitarist for August Burns Red. And I just cold messaged you, DM'd you on Instagram, and said, man, I'd love to have you on. And here you are. Thank you so much. Thank
1: you. I Yeah, I've been listening for. I feel like I've been listening from us as long as you've been doing the pod for a few years now. So I'm a, I'm a fan. I mean, I'm a less than Jake fan. and I'm a fan of your podcast. So I'm stoked to be on this.
0: Thank you so much, man, for the kind words. I really appreciate it. And you're in Germany right now on the road. Yeah. Uh, Actually have a day off and you're putting aside some time for this. So, so thank you so much. You know, you guys, (laughs) your band and, and the the first time that I was truly aware of August Burns Red was the Warp Tour in 2011. And you were just absolutely killing it out there. And I remember checking your band out and thinking... Well, at the time, I was was still in my 30s, but I was thinking... I, I always go back in my head. It's not like I, I couldn't like something as heavy as your band in, in my 30s or even now in my 40s. But I always say to myself, "What would I think of this when I was 14 or 15?" I'm like immediately, I'm like, I get it. You know, <laughs> I've turned a lot of uh, people on to you. A lot of my friends that are into heavy and heavy rock and metal and, and stuff, and a lot of these guys, you know, they hear the growly, screamy vocals, and a lot of times it'll kind of. Turn them away, and I'm like, no, no, no. If you can get past that, which your your guys' melodies are great, okay. Uh, it, it has nothing to do with that, but a, a lot of you know, a lot of my friends are like, well, I don't know, if I can get into the the, uh, especially the real heavy stuff, what you call the the cookie monster vocals. But I'm like, no, August Burns Red's the real deal. Listen to this guitar work and listen to the drumming, <laughs> and uh, that that right there, you guys are just all of you are absolute rippers.
1: Well, thank you for saying that. I. I I really respect our drummer. He was the one who got really good at his instrument first and kind of I'd say he like carried us through our early years when we were really rhythmic based. And not to say that we're not now, but we were just all about the rhythms and the quote unquote breakdowns for many years. And then as we started to get a little older and a little better, our instruments, our music progressed a bit. But uh, the screaming vocals thing, I'm glad you said that because I couldn't stand screaming vocals when I was when I was a kid. I mean, I came up listening to punk and, and uh I eventually got into hardcore which was kind of my gateway into screaming, but initially like I found it to be extremely grating and scary sounding and I did not want anything to do with it. <laughs> and eventually it just clicked and it's like you said like if you can kind of get past it or or used to it, it's like it's an acquired taste. It opens up a whole new world of of music. And I'm not bad-mouthing anyone who doesn't like that style of vocals. It's its certainly abrasive and, and an acquired taste, but there's a lot of cool metal music with screaming that if you can get past the, or if you can, I guess, learn to appreciate that style of vocals, it, it's, it opens up a whole new world.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, but there is melody within here. Jake does do melody. It's not just the the, the screaming thing. And, you know, again, a lot of bands... Uh, doing the style, you know, I, I call you guys a metal band, you know, I hear hardcore in there too, but you know, the term metal core has been thrown around and, and, and let's just call it that for a second. And a lot of those bands, yeah, they were doing the syncopated rhythms and the big stuff, but you know, it, it wasn't as in, you know, intricate as the guitar work and the bass, which you have going on, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's still the big rhythms and the breakdowns, but the guitar work is just phenomenal.
1: Well, thanks. Yeah. I, and we always wanted to be a band that had like complicated guitars and odd meter riffs. And, you know, we thought it was cool to be technical. So we like forced that into our band um, for better or for worse, you know? And we're like, Oh, we're going to change tempos. Every part's going to have a different tempo. And like, we have so many songs now where I go back and like, for instance, I was talking to our LD before this tour we did over the summer. And he's like, look, I want, I want the, the BPM for every section of every song you guys are playing. So I can like, because he was time coding the light show. I'm like, dude, that's going to be <laughs> such a pain to go back through and go through every single song and like timestamp every BPM. And and I did it. It took forever. I was just like, dude, why did we change tempos every single part? Like, it was just like, all right, this section needs to be three BPM slower. <laughs> like it just, even uh-huh. if it's just a little bit, it had to be a little different, which was a nightmare for, for gritting stuff out. There's a
0: lot of technical bands that have odd time signatures and weird stuff. And I can listen to it and I go, but where's the song? And that's what I like about you guys. There's still a song there. And for my listeners, I, I, you know, I think a lot of my listeners re- respect how I break down stuff. And I can sit here and break down a song like this and look at it. But I wouldn't even know where to begin to write something like this. It fascinates me. That's why I love <laughs> breaking down songs so much. I look at this go, where did you guys even begin to come up with this? I mean, the intro in and of itself is one minute. It's epic.
1: It's very long.
0: Yeah. But... I, you know, when researching these episodes, I always go and listen to different versions. I try to find the demo, which if you have a demo of this, I'd love to hear it and share it with the listeners.
1: Actually, I'm certain we don't. And here's the reason why our songs were all demoed out in in MIDI. We to this day, we still write our music in a really old tabbing guitar tab program called Tabbit. I don't know if you're familiar with that or if you've heard of that. It's like a Windows only application. And we started using it. Back in 2005, when we wrote our first full length, and just got really comfortable with that platform, and so we did pre-pro demos for our first two albums, and then we just started using these Tabbit demos for everything moving forward. And we don't, we wouldn't even record scratch guitars. Like on that album, on the song "Whitewashed," Matt, our drummer, recorded drums to the MIDI samples of the songs. With just a piano plugin, like it was, he played along to piano (laughs) MIDI of the song, um, which seems really dumb now. But he said it was easy for him because he could very clearly hear every everything.
0: I don't think it's dumb, dumb at all. There's there's something symphonic about this track, and especially the whole intro. And again, as I said, I researched uh, the songs, and I went and watched live videos of, of this track. And this whole intro, it's just building and building, and the anticipation of the audience. And when you kick into that verse, one, the the place explodes.
1: It's definitely a, a live fan favorite. It's like a crowd, it's, it's it's a staple for us. And when we start the, you know, just that like lo-fi guitar intro, everyone's just like, yeah, sweet, they're doing White Wash. Like, it's like, it's the biggest song in the set.
0: And I noticed there was two singles released from the record. Uh, the first one was called 30 and 7, and the other single was called Indonesia. Whitewashed wasn't released as a single. So when you guys were doing the record, it was track four. It was kind of up in the track listing. But was this just kind of another song you didn't really think it was going to have the the legs that it that it has?
1: Absolutely. This is the same old tale you hear all the time on your show, Chris. I, I've heard so many episodes where artists say, oh, I we didn't know this was going to be the song. We didn't even play this song on – we were doing like the release – album release tour for this in the summer of uh, 2009. And I can remember the first night we played it. We played it in Omaha, Nebraska at a venue called the Sokol Underground. You know, the Sokol Auditorium. I'm sure you guys have played there. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But this is (laughs) like the basement of that, you know, the the 400-cap basement venue. And we're like, hey, why don't we try playing Whitewash tonight? And that was probably two weeks into the tour. It wasn't even in the set at the start of the tour. Um, and it went over really well and it just, it gained steam. And I think probably from that from that night on it's it's been a staple in the set.
0: Yeah, well, again, the, the it's that build up. There's just this tension with that, you know, what you're calling that lo-fi riff. There's just this thing there and the other thing I want to talk about when I was researching this, I was like, "What? Now, where did I couldn't find where you recorded the record. I know you did it with uh Jason Sukoff, he produced, but where did you record it at?"
1: We recorded it at his home studio in uh, it's in the Orlando, Florida area. I think Stanford, Florida.
0: Yeah, and, and Sanford.
1: Sanford, okay, Sanford. Okay, yes.
0: well, that that's where his studio is at, and I did see that, but I'm telling you, he hit it out of the park with this. I don't know how you feel about it. It's been, let's think, uh, 11, been about 13 years since this was released, and I know you did a re-recording in 2022 of this, but I think this track sounds amazing.
1: I'm very fond of the mix and how it sounds as well, and I, what I like about it is it sounds extremely organic, and metal production has gotten extremely, it's just very produced now. Everything is extremely slick, which is cool in its own right. But I think there's something to be said for productions that are organic. The drums sound organic. They don't sound like they're crazy sample replaced. We recorded the guitars. Uh, we don't record the guitars the same way nowadays as we did back then. I mean, we we played along to the songs, you know, with the click track and the drums. And that's how we, we tracked everything. So there's something... Um, It just it feels very played. And I like that about it. As far as the reason we re-recorded it, um, we just happened to be in between labels um, at the time during the pandemic. And (laughs) we were down. uh, You know, every band was grounded. We couldn't do anything. And we wanted to kind of create music and re-record stuff and just own masters during that time. That's something we'd never been able to do previously. So it was it was, it's, you know, it's our biggest song and wanted to give it a, a modern facelift and and actually own some of our own music for a change.
0: Yeah. And for the listeners, tons of bands do re records, uh, less than Jake's done them. And the reason you do it is in your contracts with labels, typically uh, you're allowed to do re records that you're allowed to then own those masters, as JB was just saying. Meaning that if you want to put it in a commercial or license the song somewhere, you can do so. And your former label, who pretty much, in most cases isn't doing much for your band anymore or pushing your band, uh, they're not going to sit there and, and uh, reap the benefits of that. So, uh, but, but yeah, I, I just think that this I didn't think you re recorded because you weren't happy with this. But Jason's productions, you know, I saw he works with Deicide, a death metal band from Tampa, and I've known those guys forever. They're the production on the record that Jason did with them. Okay, the, the vocal treatment, and that's something that really stands out here. These vocals are just pummeling. Okay, the whole whole production sounds great but I love what he does with the vocals because you really have to know what you're doing with those death metal bands to get that to sound right and there's just something really really evil and cool sounding here with the vocals I want to jump into the track it's three minutes and 46 seconds and again bear with me this intro is pretty insane here it's four bars of a sinister guitar riff uh, I wrote horror movie-esque it sounds <laughs> like it could be part of a horror movie this lo-fi guitar riff that uh, JB was speaking of followed by four bars bars of that riff with a Tom Heavy drum fill then a single chord of stereo guitars and one bass note ring out for four bars as the riff and drums continue. the guitars go to a syncopated staccato strumming pattern for four bars Uh, and there's a cool pinch harmonic that happens there then four more bars of that preceding part before that harmonic and another pinch harmonic happens followed by four bars where a splash cymbal enters along with these octave guitars and that's the part that sounds symphonic to me when those octaves come in Then four bars of a kind of a mesh of the past eight bars that happened. It's kind of a mesh of that, followed by one of the most insane drum fills I've ever heard to (laughs) set up a verse. It, it reminds me a lot of uh, one of the first drummers I remember playing like this was Dave Lombardo from Slayer. And I don't know if Matt is influenced by him or not, but that, that's kind of a page out of Dave's book that Phil is awesome.
1: For sure. Matt would definitely say he would name Dave Lombardo as, you know, a drumming legend. Um, I'm not sure how much Slayer he's actually listened to, given his, his upbringing and background. But he, he has definitely mentioned Dave Lombardo's name for sure. I'm sure there's a lot of drummers that Dave influenced that have influenced Matt as well.
0: So when you were putting together this intro, and now you're in the studio and you're recording it with Jason, was there any talk of, hey, this is a little bit much? Maybe we shouldn't have it this long. Was it always that long, the intro?
1: I wish I remembered that. I I, I think what Jason did to this intro, I I have a feeling it was always this long, but I'm almost certain we wouldn't have had the idea of doing like the lo-fi guitar to start it. That was definitely... A Jason Sukoff idea to kind of filter out that that low end and make that intro guitar sound different. And I know that we came into the studio with the lyrics written, but not applied to the song yet. Um, and that's a big thing that Jason did for us when he he did two albums for us. And he was really great. Like you were saying with you know the DSI vocal production, like he's great at vocals. I feel like that's almost like his his specialty. He's really good at patterns and metal vocals. And so we didn't write the patterns before we came into the studio and those were kind of done workshopping on the spot with our, our singer, Jake and Jason. So the, the lyrics got applied, you know, in real time while we were in the studio.
0: Okay. So yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because you know, a lot of times it just, it, it amazes me that, and it works all kinds of different ways, but something like this, do you typically have the music written and who primarily writes the lyric is it jake does he like go through a book and say hey i think this idea will fit the vibe of this song
1: the music is always written ahead of time before we come into the studio seldom do we write while we're in the studio it just it just takes us too long it's a waste of our time as far as writing the lyrics that has been a a, a team effort for a long time jake did not write the lyrics to the song these lyrics were written by our other guitar player brent rambler but historically, we've all contributed and then we've even gone through, we aren't really doing this nowadays, but in the past, we would like take all of the lyric ideas, put them on the table and literally read them and, and give them one to five stars and then like pick whichever songs had the most stars after we voted. And those would be the songs we would then apply. Those are the lyrics that would get applied to the songs. So it's very democratic in approach.
0: Has Jake ever taken a demo or an idea? And he's like, has lyrics and he's singing over a part. And you're like, no, 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 that, that's, that's a musical interlude. That's an instrumental. There's no vocals there. Does that happen?
1: Yes, that certainly has happened. And that can be frustrating for both of us, you know, for me as the guy writing the music and Jake as yeah. Jake and the producer who spent a whole bunch of time on this cool idea in the studio. Um, and, you know, we get married to, I, I shouldn't say we, I'll speak for myself. I get married to ideas that I've written on guitar and like how I intend for them to, to be on the album and then there will be times where i'll have this like cool interlude that i think is so sweet this happened to us on record we put out in 2020 called guardians There's a song where i was really pumped on this clean bridge like kind of this brooding section and uh, when they were doing vocal production they're just like you know what this kind of slows the song down too much it brings it down we just want to yank it right out and going to this guitar solo that came right (laughs) out of it and i was just like oh like it crushed me at the time but you know um yeah you have those moments in the studio there's so many highs and lows in the studio as i'm sure you know yeah you then get used to the new way when you can finally get over that quote unquote demo itis and accept the new way of the song and i'm totally fine with it now but at the time it's like oh dude i love that part i don't want to take that out but that's making music i guess
0: well, that's what's fascinating to me is how different bands do different stuff. And I always try to ask and I wanted to to, to find out with you guys, because, you know, when I sit down to write a song, I, I'm a melody and a chords guy that always goes together. Rarely do I write music and then have to come up with a melody. So, you know, if I were to get this track all three minutes and 46 seconds of this I, I would have probably put vocals in different parts or I would have stepped on your musical interlude or a part like, wait a second, there's there's no vocals there, you know, so it's really interesting how you guys work. Well, coming out of uh, this intro, we get that big Dave Lombardo inspired fill into what I'm calling verse one and JB... Correct me as we go now in terms of arrangement, Mm because I don't even know what to call some of these parts. I did my interpretation, but uh, I'd, I'd like to get your feelings on this, but I am calling this verse one. Push your controlling values aside and dissect your own life. It's not about my beliefs. It's about personal choice. It breaks your heart to see me consume, but it shatters mine to see people follow you. Ask me to be blameless.
1: Okay. The story behind the song is pretty simple. For those who don't know, August Burns Red came up as a quote-unquote Christian band. We were raised in Christian households. Um, We do not call ourselves that today, but um, at the time, we were still in that circle. And we would sometimes be playing Christian festivals and stuff, there's a whole circuit of Christian fest that, that we'd play in the summer and stuff. And it would have been, this would have been 2008 um, when this happened, we had gotten an offer to play a fest. So I couldn't even tell you what it was. I don't think it was anything notable and certainly not something that has stuck around. Um, and we accepted the offer and we sent in our hospitality rider and on our hospitality rider, we have a case of beer, you know, and probably a bottle of liquor, like every band ever. And <laughs> the the guy who was booking the event said, nope, he doesn't want to book us anymore. He kicked us off because we had alcohol on our rider. And he also kicked off Norma Jean, another metal band um, that kind of came from the same world for the same reason. And then he came to our show on a tour later that fall. It was at New Brooklyn Tavern in Columbia, South Carolina. Oh, yeah. And he cornered our uh, Brent, our guitar player, who wrote the lyrics to the song, by our, our van and had, like, his youth group with him. Like, I guess he was, like, a youth pastor or something. And proceeded to, like, berate Brent on how wrong it was that we had alcohol on our rider and how that was, like, that wasn't Christian and we couldn't call ourselves Christians if we did that. And, like, just... Super judgmental, really nasty about it. Had like a crowd around him listening. And it was, it was the inspiration for this track. So wow, um, this, this lyrics that you just read, push your controlling values aside and dissect your own life. Basically it's Brent saying like, dude, you need to chill and look at your own self. Like drinking is a personal choice. It's not, it's not going to send someone to heaven or hell. (laughs) uh, You know, if that's, if, if you even believe in that. And the line, it breaks your heart to see me consume consume alcohol, but it shatters mine to see that people follow you. I mean, he had this this little group of impressionable minds right behind him who were like absorbing this whole situation. Um, you ask me to be blameless, but who do, who are you to decide what's right? Basically, like you're not it, it's not your choice to or it's not your right to judge someone else for for making a personal choice. So that's that's what the song's about, and that's what that verse is about.
0: Well, I, I I can't tell you how I've had a number of my friends have been uh, fairly or unfairly pegged as a Christian band and have echoed the same things uh, that, that, you know, that you were just saying. And it's just like, you look at it and you're like, wait a second, you know, this, you're supposed to be accepting and and, and and loving if you're a person of God. And, and what are you doing and who, who are you to judge me?
1: You it's, know, It's very, it can be very hypocritical. Um, and I, yeah, as we toured the world and saw more cultures and had more experiences and it really changed, it changed how a lot of us just felt about things and there are still Christians in the band. um, And I respect that. I respect anyone's beliefs, but it is not a label that we carry anymore because it's just not, it's not the focus of the band.
0: Yeah. It makes total sense. Well, I'm glad he didn't book my band. Uh, Our van would have started on fire as we pulled into the festival. grounds. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: Hey everybody! We got to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, but we'll be right back with lots more with JB Brubaker.
1: The number you have reached is 100.7 WMNs It wasn't just a radio station; it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for
2: sure. Yeah!
1: Right?
2: Yeah!
0: The The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P.R.O.H. Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.
2: And now, back to the show.
0: Getting back to verse one, and, and I love the concept here. I, lo- I love what's going on lyrically, especially with the story now. Uh, this verse, it's a full on hardcore drum beat with bass and stereo guitars riffing away like madmen. Killer guitar work, the bass is ripping as well. Dustin, your bass player's just, he's a shredder. And there's other stereo guitars playing rhythm here too. And I gotta ask, but I'm pretty sure I know the answer. The vocals
1: are doubled here, right? I imagine that if they are not doubled altogether, there are certain lines and words that would be doubled. I couldn't say without listening to it. But, you know, often we'll double a line for impact.
0: Yeah. And I didn't go that deep with this one because I can definitely hear certain lines. but And again, it's also about the vocal treatment that Jason Sukoff is doing here because there's some parts where he puts, I'm calling it the, the DSI devil sound. It's almost like a pitch shifter on the vocals or something that's happening really buried and tucked in the mix but you can hear it, it just really sounds demonic and um for for a band that people are are uh, lumping in as christians that's that's interesting
1: <laughs> i mean we it, it is scary sounding music especially when you haven't listened to a lot of it it can be like and i i it'll be interesting to see what your listeners because i know I, I i assume and maybe it's not fair for me to assume but i'm sure there's a lot of uh, punk fans who are listening to your podcast who probably don't get down with a lot of this kind of music. So, for anyone who is in that boat, I don't judge you for not liking this. It's it's all good.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, no. I to be honest with you, JB. I, I, my listeners are more open-minded than I initially thought. I think a oh, lot right of on. the people fell off Yeah, I think a lot of the people initially might have just fallen off after they realized that you know, because I didn't want to just stay in one lane, be a punk rock podcast, because there would have been you know at some point uh, diminishing returns. So no, I think uh, as a whole, the audience is, is, is that listens to the show is very very open-minded. The next part I'm calling the chorus. With no big <laughs> me to be blameless you ask me to be blameless but who are you to decide what's right don't say another word
1: cool okay yeah you can call it the chorus that's fine i mean it does happen twice in the song so if there is a chorus i suppose this would be it <laughs>
0: You could also make the case this is a pre-chorus when it comes back in later, this part, but I couldn't call it a pre-chorus there, and and, and we'll get to that later. But uh, what what's going on lyrically here? It sounds like a continuation of, uh, of the verse.
1: Yeah, and I apologize because I feel like I started getting into this line a little bit when we were going over the first section. But yeah, um, basically, you asked me to be blameless, but who are you to decide what's right? It just is talking about this guy's expectations of us as quote-unquote Christian artists to be setting the perfect example of not consuming alcohol or doing anything that would be not considered Christian, and us saying, look, who are you to decide what's right or wrong? That's not It's not your job to make that judgment. So don't say another word. Stop talking to me about this. I don't want to hear it.
0: Gotcha. Well, I I differentiated this part from the verse. I didn't think it was a continuation because the drums go to a blast beat here. And there's some killer work on the bell of the crash cymbal. Is that an overdub or is that actually uh, Matt playing that part?
1: That's definitely not an overdub. Yeah, that's what he plays.
0: Oh, it's so good.
1: I I don't know how he does it. It's like he has an extra arm sometimes. But uh, there is a drum overdub in the intro of the song. And that comes back later. Um, There's a Tom overdub in the intro that definitely cannot be played. Like that would require another, another person to play.
0: Right. And that part does come back and we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but yeah, this, uh, like I said, the drums go to the blast beat there and there's the bell of the crash symbol, which I thought was an overdub. I don't know how the heck he's playing that. The stereo guitars and bass are still riffing together. It's so chaotic, this section, but it's tight, so tight. And on another word at the very end of what I'm calling the chorus, the drum fill kind of slows down to halftime as the drums go halftime for the next part, which I'm calling the post-chorus breakdown. The lyric is, don't say another word, you've crossed the line. 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 So it's really driving that point home, uh, the last lyric of what I'm calling the chorus.
1: I love this part. It's one of my favorite parts live. It's a big crowd sing-along part. And it's a cool breakdown because it's not four-four, it's a little, it's odd meter, and but it still has that bounce. Like you can still bounce to it, which I think is, has often been our goal as a band like we like to play off you know stuff that's not just straight four four but you want to still be able to bob your head to it Um, and there's like a nice line there's a fine line to walk there but if you can keep the crowd bouncing to something that's a little bit weird you know like a seven eight breakdown or something there's something satisfying about that like you can you can bob your head and go oh wait i don't quite get what this is without breaking it down but i but it feels good
0: well and there's something satisfying about having my guest do my work for me and explain what's going on this is great a lot of times <laughs> I, i'm not kidding you and it's not that the be not that the musician is is, is clueless or, or stupid but you'll say about this part like um yeah, you know, it's just the way that it happened they don't really know and and here you know and that part you're talking about here what i'm calling the post-chorus breakdown man when you watch those live videos it does have that bounce a whole audience is pogoing during this part
1: yeah for sure it's it's definitely a moment in in the set and like a a high point in in this track i dig it
0: well the drums go halftime here the bass and the stereo guitars are back to playing these syncopated big chord rhythms from the intro the vocals have a harmonizer demon effect i wrote pitch shifter we talked about a moment ago it sounds really evil and on the back half of this On the don't say another word, you've crossed the line. The last two times it says that, Jake goes to a lower growl of vocals that you don't hear in this song. And it's just intense. And in that part, when he does that, it makes it lift even heavier.
1: Yeah. And Jake has always been, he's always wanted to have lots of voices as a a vocalist. And he, it's funny because he's got, nowadays he has names for all of them. And I, I couldn't even tell you what they are. But uh There's a lot of, I feel like to say one-dimensional is kind of mean, but there's a lot of screamers in in this style of music that just kind of have their one voice. And Jake's always taken pride in being able to deliver a wide range of of screams and voices and and shouts and stuff. And I don't know how he does it because it would shred my vocals and in one take like i'd scream one line and be like okay i'm done for the day like i can't i can't do anything else
0: yeah i don't know how guys sing i mean i i have a pretty good technique i sing from the diaphragm but i there's no way i I, i'm like you i do a song and and, and a half i'd be done
1: yeah (laughs) it's it's i guess it's a skill like like playing any other instrument and if you know how to do it you can do it and if not you can't i cannot
0: I'll tell you something else about this track. I'm glad there's no and, and a lot of bands if you want to call them metalcore that that are in this, you know, this genre, or this style, they will sing. Okay? It'll be real and sometimes they'll have two singers, the singer and the screamer, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And this track to me, it just it 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 wouldn't work. The the vocal has to be this this intense, and and the way that uh, the Jake has delivered the vocal here, and I and the subject matter is what also, especially now that I know what the song's about, it even lends itself more to that. But uh, love this part at the very end. There's a "Let's Go," and that sets up the next super fast part. And again, when I watch this live, and he says "Let's Go," and now the pitch just going mad for this next part. It's what I'm calling an eight bar musical interlude. Yeah! On bars seven and eight, there's some killer guitar and drum uh, interplay before what I'm calling verse two. There's a, that dual harmony lead that's happening. It's so awesome.
1: Yeah, that's a really fun part. And it's, it's a great circle pit part live. People definitely start spinning for this section. I, I don't know what to call this part either, I guess, as far as what's going on musically. It's just a classic bouncy metal like kind of a Swedish-y metal riff. I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you say Swedish. It's like some of the bands and Euro bands, like In Flames. It's it's kind of like got this almost like neoclassical feel to it too. That part, I, it's really really good.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's and it's it's actually my it's my favorite part of the song to play. It's just a fun guitar riff. Once you get it in your muscle memory, it just kind of flows out nicely. It's satisfying.
0: Well, and and there's some guys especially in in the world you guys come from, some drummers that just are like, yeah, I can play, so I'm going to overplay and the parts don't fit the song and i feel everything that matt brings to the table with your band this track in particular it's just right on the money you know i don't care how good you are if the parts aren't good and they don't suit the song then 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 what do you have and case in point you know this next part it's the only time this feel happens and i'm calling this verse 2 I won't hesitate to put you in your place. You are the straw that's crushing my back. And the drums go to almost a pop punk beat feel here with the bass and stereo guitars riffing away. It's a, a feel that kind of comes out of nowhere and it's only for those two lines.
1: I agree. It definitely is a, like a pop punk kind of vibe. I even think that the way we se- we segue from the previous part into that part you're calling, you know, the musical break, Like that kind of has like a a punky vibe to it, which is cool. And I'm, I'm very influenced by punk. So I guess that would make sense. I remember writing that part together in, in our rehearsal space years ago and being like, is this cool? Like, can we do this? And we're just like, yeah, we're doing it. Like, this is our transition okay here
0: we go it's a breath of fresh air not that this song is is laborious up to this point or not that it's you know plodding and and you know it, it's not move, moving you uh, rhythmically or feel wise but man when that part comes in it's like wow and it's only on those two lines and then you're into something completely different uh, at the last line here you are the straw that's crushing my back there's a, another amazing drum fill that takes us in to what I'm calling chorus 2 yeah. You ask me to be blameless, you ask me to be blameless, but who are you to decide what's right? Don't say another word. And before we go any further, just, uh, we hadn't talked about what I'm calling verse two, those lyrics, I won't hesitate to put you in your place, you are the straw that's crushing my back, if you'd like to expound on, on those two lines.
1: I think that's just a, you know, at, at some point during that conversation with the sky, Brian was like, dude, like, you need to stop. Like, we're done. This conversation's over. And you were the straw cr- You were the straw that's crushing my back. Just like, this is like, this is crushing me. Stop. We're not having this conversation anymore. I disagree and we're done. It's just him putting an end to it.
0: Well, that pop-punk beat, I'm calling it, when it gets into this chorus part, that hardcore beat happens again. And then the second half, which just wasn't the, the, the same rhythmic uh, thing that was happening when this lyric happened previous in the song, and that's what I love about it, too. It just it keeps you guessing. It doesn't get tired. But on the last two lines, the drums go halftime with that killer double bass drum again. And then on Don't Say Another Word, that low growl that sounds super demonic comes in there and then there's eight bars of a blast beat and it's just it sounds so awesome this part is so intricate with a guitar left playing really cool single note descending riff and a guitar right is playing a killer counter melody to that and I'm calling this uh, the musical uh, interlude here that takes us into a bridge Ah! However, I thank you for this pen and ink ammunition. Thank you for the inspiration.
1: That's after this whole event transpired, looking back and reflecting on it. Well, cool. Now I have this idea for a song. Thanks for the inspiration, asshole. Basically, you know,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Yeah. And it's it's really literal there. But had I not known what the song was about, I it's just a cool, great lyric. It's still a cool, great yeah. lyric, but it's funny how how, uh, how how you described it.
1: If you if you don't know the context, you could take this line any number of ways. And I'm hoping that as people, you know, hear this and know exactly what the song's about, like it doesn't change how they feel about certain lines. Like, thank you for the inspiration is like a line that's another one of those lines that people like, like we shout at each other, the crowd and the band, like at that particular moment in the set. And it's like a cool connection. yeah. Cause
0: you're you're their inspiration at that point.
1: Sure, and we feel inspired by the the energy we're getting from them. You know, it has nothing to do with the actual context of the lyrics. For me personally, in, in that moment, I'm um, just having that that connection in a live environment is is really inspiring.
0: Yeah, that's that's the old adage of. The song is no longer yours. It becomes bigger than you. It becomes, you know, the ownership is is transferred to audience and and you feel that reciprocation. Well, this part's great. It's halftime, the drums again, with those guitars from that previous musical interlude continuing. Then there's eight more bars of the band without vocals followed by six bars of that intro part where the stereo guitars and bass are hanging over that cool tom fill you're talking about, which is the overdub part, correct?
1: Yes. I wish I had Matt here to ask. I, I'm sure he's playing some kind of tom beat himself on the kit, and then there's also like a rolling tom overdub that's happening at the same time. It's it's uh, if you know what you're listening for, you can pick it out. It all blends together very nicely on the actual recording.
0: Yeah, and I I couldn't tell when I watched live videos. Is there anything triggered live that makes this part come a little more alive?
1: Yes, we have a we have a track of that overdub that plays along with us. We've also had extra toms on stage that we've played, you know, done it, done it live, but that becomes problematic as there's a lot of other things to be played at the same time. So our, our bass player has played that with him, uh, with Matt live before, but like I said, it, it, it could be tricky based on where you are in the world and what kind of hardware you have access to. It's it's like setting up an auxiliary drum kit, which can be a bit cumbersome at times, <laughs>
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, the main guitar lick from the top uh, of the song, or a slight variation of that, comes in uh, from bar three to bar six before the outro breakdown. And how am I doing so far about labeling the arrangement here, JB?
1: I think you're doing fine because this isn't this is difficult music. I, I would have a hard time assigning you know specific names for each section because a lot of our songs are, are very linear. And this is a this is a song where I, you know, there are a few repeating parts, which makes it a little bit easier to assign labels to. I'm completely comfortable with with the labels you've given to the parts. That's fine with me.
0: <laughs> well thank you. Cause I, I uh I labored over this one and I'm I'm thinking of myself the whole time. And for the listeners, you know, this isn't verse chorus verse chorus bridge double chorus. The song ends. There this is uh this is a wacky arrangement and, and again I I marvel at the fact that, that Jake can take an instrumental of this and figure out where to put vocals and how you guys finally settle on the final thing. It it really is a uh, an art form.
1: But Yeah, and it's one of those things where after years and years of doing it, I, I guess you get a bit of a feel for it. Yeah, I, I would struggle personally if I had to apply lyrics to all these songs that we've written. I And one of the things that we do when we write a song is we want it to be we want it to be cool instrumentally. Like we when we finish a song, it's if you can listen to it without vocals and, and think it's fun to listen to it in an exciting track, then we're like, cool, yeah, this song's done. Okay. But then it's like Jake has to go through and, and scream over a lot of parts that are really pretty busy, which can be difficult as well, to you know, pick pick the spots, I guess, where to put the vocals. We're a busy band, this is a busy genre. It's just it is what it is. She lying back
0: You're the straw that's crushing my back. You are the salt that's burning my wounds. You're the straw that's crushing my back. You are the salt that's burning my wounds. You're the straw that's crushing my back. You are the salt that's burning my wounds.
1: Sure. This is just one of those pump your fist in the air and scream it back at us kind of sections. Um, Just talking about the frustration of getting berated by this judgmental guy and how it felt. It was just heavy and, uh, and it hurt, you know, so much so that it was, you know, used as inspiration for an entire song. We, we wanted to have like a, a big line that went over this big breakdown at the end, um, which is which was the goal, I think, to have like that that cool one liner that, you know, almost that like you can like print on the back of a T-shirt kind of thing. I think that's what this section is about.
0: This is almost a chorus in a sense, you know, hammering, hammering that lyric over and over again. Well, the halftime drums come in here uh, for the end of the song with that double bass and the syncopated bass uh, and stereo guitars. Uh, after the second line, after wounds, there's a cool pinch harmonic. After the fourth line wounds that lyric and there's a cool pinch harmonic. And then there's four bars of just the band with that high guitar intro part again that happens before you get to the last two lines. And I got to ask, did you ever think of just having the six lines all together that, or did you want that uh, that four-bar musical part to come back in there before you got to the last two lines?
1: Well, the thing it's is, interesting. What, what's happening there is um, Matt starts doing that splash thing again on his, I, I think, on, on yeah. his drums. And the lead begins to... To pick up, you know, it starts out just going, but then it goes, like it, it, it goes double time every other one during that little break. And then yes. when the lyrics come back in, the lead is, is going double time the whole time it's a building moment
0: yeah and that's what i had said that the lick is at the end here is a slight variation of what's happening at the top but still holds on to that theme but it takes you someplace else i really like it well on these last two lines that guitar uh lick in question we're talking about i love what happens in the mix because on those four bars It's really in front, and then when the vocals come back in, you can hear it get tucked back, but it's still there, and I just, I love little things like that. On the last lyric, Wounds, the band ends all together with stereo guitars, bass, and cymbals fading away as that guitar riff kind of panned off left fades as well, and the song comes to an end. I gotta ask, you're in the studio you're hearing the playbacks, you're hearing maybe some of the rough mixes or, or the mixes come back. At what point did you know you have something here with Whitewashed? Or it wasn't it until you played live as you as you said earlier.
1: I think it was one of those songs we liked, but it was just another album track. And and like you just said, it wouldn't have been until we started playing it live and we're getting that reaction from the crowd that we knew that this was this was a bigger song for us.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's crazy, and I've talked to people on this show before, and I know you can relate. Have you ever had that song? You're in the practice space, you record it, and you're like, our fans are going to lose their mind when we play this, and you go out and play it, and it's just crickets, mm-hmm. and you're like, what happened? You're like, it's a fluke. We're Let's practice it at Soundcheck again tomorrow, and you do it again, you go play it, and it lays there, you know, and then you have a song that was just another album track, and you play it, and it connects for some reason. It's just magic.
1: Yeah, you can never, you can never know. What the audience as a whole is going to feel about a song—it's just—it is really difficult to to predict that until you're in that environment playing it. And it is such a bummer. Like if you have this song that the band just loves, and we're all so pumped on it, and then you're like, ah, like that is just falling flat. Like this is a wall in the set. We got to take it out. Like that—that's a bummer. But it's—it's—it's it's, it's part of the biz, I guess.
0: Well, listen, I want to thank you for sitting in with us. And what do you want to leave the listeners with? What's what's coming up with the band for, for uh, 2023 and beyond?
1: We have a new record called Death Below that's coming out on March 24th. We're super proud of it. And there's a few singles online now. Um, if you want to check some stuff out, it's coming out on Sharp Ten Records. And we're going to be hitting the road on the second leg of our 20-year anniversary tour, um, starting on April 14th in North America. So... Come out and uh, see a show, celebrate 20 years. I can't believe it's been 20 years. I know you guys have d- had some some big milestone anniversaries as well with, with Les and Jake. So it's, it's crazy how the time flies.
0: I've said this before, you know. I've said this before. All these bands that were kids 20 years ago, like I don't know where the time went. I'm like, you guys still seem like a new band to me. Someone to say August Burns. And I'm like, yeah, they're they're a new band, but you've been around for 20 years. Congratulations, that's so cool. Thank you. And one last thing, I will make sure, okay, because I've I've uh, been on the receiving end of the locals in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You don't say Lancaster. Oh,
1: La- you nailed it.
0: Yeah, Lancaster is in California, okay, but it's Lancaster. So I'll make sure to get that right in the intro and and again JB thank you so much.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure doing this pod with you. Thanks. You <laughs>
2: That was a really fun episode with J.B. Brubaker. I really related to the story behind that song because there is no one who hates being chastised more than I do. But we'll get into that and a whole lot more in the rap section that's coming up after a few words from our sponsors. So don't go anywhere.
0: Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective, that's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective, the only podcast you crank up to 11. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to make a podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to band you might not know at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Wes Hoffman and Friends, a pop punk band from St. Louis, Missouri, featuring primary songwriter Wes Hoffman and, you guessed it, his friends. Be on the lookout for a full length album and more tour dates in 2023. Here's a snippet of their song Where Summer Never Ends.
1: Chris and Chris.
2: Chris, I don't know if there's a better inspiration for a song out there than someone chastising you for something. Is there more, <laughs> is there more of an inspiration to write aggressive music than that?
0: It And it doesn't matter what it is. You chastise me. I'm going to write a song about <laughs> it. Yeah. And oh, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this from, and I, and I mentioned it to JB in the episode that my friends that have been pegged, you know, fairly or unfairly as Christian, that they've encountered guys like this. How could you be a person of God and, and you know, be that judgmental? I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it at all. Yeah, I've heard that story
2: from several friends who were in bands that were are either Christian bands or were considered a Christian band. They're just like, we can't keep up with the expectations of the crazy people. <laughs> you know, like you can be a good-hearted, normal person who happens to believe in a religion. That's that's a completely normal way to act. But this sounds like a crazy situation. And uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's that out of the ordinary either for that to happen if you're in that scene. But <laughs> Chris, I was thinking to myself, there's been plenty of times where i've said or done something (laughs) sometimes that isn't even that big of a deal and then i'll wake up the next morning and i'll be like oh man i'm so embarrassed i said that or did that (laughs) but when someone chastises me about something or offers up some sort of like unsolicited criticism to me that gets me fired up. And I have definitely written songs when I'm in that state of mind.
0: Yeah, for sure. And again, it's like a broken record on here. How many times have we heard this was just another album track? They didn't think anything about it. Uh, It wasn't released as one of the two singles from the record constellations. Uh, It was just another song. Uh, Granted, it was the fourth track on the record. It wasn't buried, but it wasn't until they went out and played it live that they saw the impact that this song uh, has. And I love watching live videos. I love seeing the translation and what it does to the audience. Cause you know, I'm a, I'm a live music guy. I've always prided myself on that with, with my band. It's never been about the studio as much as it's been live. And this song just slams live. It's great. I like that. You guys talked about the circle
2: pit part of the song because you know, you and I know exactly what that means. Maybe someone that's not in the punk or metal scene might be like, what What? What do you mean? The circle pit part? Oh, I know what the circle pit part is. That's when Less Than Jake starts playing last one out of Liberty City. That's when, you know, that's when NoFX starts playing linoleum or something. We all know what what that means. You don't even have to explain it any further. We know what that means.
0: Yeah, and and these guys, every one of them in this band, they are such great players. And I had brought friends around. They'd be on the warp tour, like you know, that, that are into heavy music and into metal. And I'd be like, yeah, you got you got to check this band out. You know, like just you know, you maybe you're not into the heavy vocal thing, but just listen to what's going on, the interplay between the drums, the bass, and the guitars. These guys are the real deal. And you know, doing a, a one minute long intro, that's uh, that's ballsy, and they pull it off here. Yeah, they do for sure.
2: I thought. Speaking of the vocals, I thought it was cool that he talked about how Jake has different voices and screams. I wish he could have known. I wish he would have remembered what the names of the different voices were like, I'm going to do Frank. (laughs) Now I'm going to do, this is my, this is my gym voice. I at the beginning. You called it what the, the cookie monster sort of, which I know what you mean. That, that deep sort of growl that, uh, yeah. it's
0: it's not even so much with, with this uh, particular band at all. It's more of like the death metal guys. Like, you know, it's, it's just, you can't discern what they're saying at all. And that's what I love about Jake's delivery here. You know, It it is uh, screamy, but it is yet melodic at the same time. Right. And I hope, you know,
2: no one takes exception to you saying it's a Cookie Monster voice. To be honest, I think Cookie Monster was one of my first albums. C is for Cookie. Did you you have that record? Of course. C is is for
0: Cookie and Cookie is for me. Come on, Chris. right. It's good enough for me, man. C is
1: for Cookie. That's good enough for me. C is for Cookie. That's good enough for me. C is for Kookie, That's good enough for me. Oh, kooky, kooky, kooky starts with C. Oh.
2: I love the idea that when you're playing a song live after a while, the song becomes the property of the audience. Something that you created is no longer yours, but in the best way possible. Yes, of course, it's still your song, but it's way bigger than that. That's one of those things that keeps me wanting to create music that concept
0: yeah and i'm so intrigued by the fact that Jake can just take a song and maybe have a page of lyrics or have an idea and come in. And I had to ask JB and 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 he, I was pretty sure I knew the answer. If it wasn't this way, I'm like, well, these guys are, are beyond musical geniuses, but you know, has there ever been a time when Jake sang over a part where you're like, no dude, that's, that's the breakdown or that's a, that's just a musical part. And he says, yeah, of course that's happened because I wouldn't even know where to begin if you gave me this, just the bed of this song with no melody cues or anything. And said hey put something uh, vocally and lyrically to this. I wouldn't know where to begin. It's a whole different ball game
2: in metal and hardcore. It's it's a whole different set of rules, especially in a band like this that's so technical. Yeah, there's so many things going on and it's impressive. And also, I just want to bring it back around to like the subject matter of the song one more time. How awesome is it that the band kind of got their revenge on the person who's like casting stones at them? By using it for inspiration for the song that became the band's most popular song. That's amazing. It's like... It's almost like, <laughs> in a funny way, if you do believe in a higher power, that the higher power sent that annoying guy to be like, "Hey, we're gonna send this as ins- <laughs> gonna send this <laughs> as inspiration, so you guys can create your biggest song and then continue living your best life."
0: Right? For sure. And I gotta hand it to JB. You know, he was being a little self-deprecating. Chris talking about, you know, he knows that I come from a you know punk rock background, and probably a lot of listeners are punk rock. He doesn't know if people are gonna get into this episode, but I want to thank the listeners. I really do. You guys are are way more open minded all of you than I than I thought. The discussions in our Facebook group, you're in there, you know, how many times have we seen Chris or someone's like I've I've never listened to this band or they're not my cup of tea, but I really enjoy this song or I love the breakdown. So I I really appreciate each and every one of you tuning in for the show, not just who the guest is. I really appreciate that. So, you know, tip of the hat to all the listeners. And you know what else, Chris? We got to thank listeners for something else that they they support us with. Would that be the people that are part of our supporting cast? Bingo, you hit it on the head. Tell them about it, Chris.
2: Yeah, if you head to christamakes.com, you can sign up for our supporting cast and get a bonus episode every week of our other podcast that's called The After Party. That thing is an entire podcast in itself we've been doing it for pushing two years now or something and it's a lot of fun you might learn a little bit you might laugh a little bit and on top of that you support Krista makes a podcast and allow us to continue doing the show and getting awesome guests plus when you sign up you get a giant back catalog so I don't know. You got a lot of listen, a lot of entertainment there. If
0: you sign up at kristamakes.com, great for those long commutes to work and back. It's awesome, and yes, we have a Facebook group. Please join it if you haven't already. The Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. It's a lot of fun, and give me a follow on Instagram at less than Chris D. I'd appreciate it. Want to thank this week's guest, J B. Brewbaker, for sitting in with us, and we'll see you next week.